it's also, you know, how you impact uh, people around you. Do you want them to be pessimistic or optimistic? And it's much more fun to be in the optimistic environment. Hi, you're listening to Looks Like Work. I'm your host, Khedma Kleinler, and yeah, it's the least pronounceable name you've ever heard, but you'll get used to it. I'm a serial entrepreneur who's obsessed with curiosity, creativity, and grit, and that's just to get started. I really can't get enough of learning more about people's career choices. What fulfills them? How do they deal with burnout, with heartbreak? How do they protect their boundaries? And is it all even working? Those are questions that keep me up at night and I hope to explore here. On this podcast, we'll have deep conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, people juggling a few jobs, sometimes even a few industries, sharing what looks like work for them. With that, on to the episode. I really hope you'll enjoy it. Lisa, welcome to Looks Like Work. I am so, so, so excited to have you here. Hi, Hedva. It's so much fun to be here with you today. <laughs> and for our listeners who don't see Lisa, she is wearing the coolest glasses. <laughs> the party is on. Party <laughs> that is awesome. Is so, yeah, Lisa is the amazing, amazing person that I have been waiting to have and looks like work. She is also the chief people officer at Apps Flyer and one of the founding team since 2011. But we'll dive deeper into that later. So Lisa, what looks like work for you? Wow, it's a great question, Hedva. And just before we dive in, I also want to share my appreciation and how much I adore you and you're such an amazing role model for me and uh, it's haven't been a secret you know this uh, how much I appreciate yourself and what you represent and the, the entrepreneurial spirit being a female entrepreneur so thank you very much for having me it's, it's a big honor and pleasure for me the feeling is absolutely mutual thank you so much Lisa <laughs> thank you and now jumping into what work looks like for me it's mainly fun. If we spend the majority of our time working, we should have fun doing this. And it combines so many different things. So first of all, it's constantly challenging ourselves, how to become a better version and how you become a better version of yourself by embracing feedback and how you're adopting a continuous feedback mindset. One of the things that uh, I believe in is 1% done is how you unlock 99% of opportunities and also looking into challenges and turning them into opportunities. So I, this kind of person that really much enjoy challenges and difficult situation, because I believe that this is a window that can bring you to growth and uh, to unlock new opportunities. I love that. And there is so much to unpack here. But kind of, as I was asking you this question, and you know, I've started asking this in every episode. And this is like the only question that I will disclose <laughs> in advance to our guests, just because I want us to have like fun and conversations like within in the flow of a real talk. But for each person, when I ask them, I think about something else and I'm surprised in a different way when they answer it. And I was just thinking, Lisa, that during these last 11 years, 
actually how work looks like for you, like practically, like like physically, right, has changed so much because you started as a few people, right? Three people, four people. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? And how, how many are you now? Like, what is it that you're doing? Anyone who doesn't, who's not familiar somehow with AppsFlyer? Wow, it's been an amazing 11 years journey. So we started 2011, Orn and Reshef, two official co-founders uh, in Absa, and I started with them as an advisor at the beginning. So three of us from different backgrounds, Reshef is engineer, he's the CEO and the co-founder in the company today. Orn is engineer, but also after he completed MBA in Wharton Business School and came back to Israel, has this entrepreneurial spirit to bring value to the ecosystem and to create something meaningful. And me, coming from the marketing background, back then working with publishers and advertising, trying them to create value in digital advertising. So basically speaking, I was the only one understanding digital marketing between three of us. But Orn and Reshef went on the journey to build a top-notch technology, a SaaS company, to solve a marketing dilemma. Fast forward 11 years to today, we basically support marketers to make good choices by using AppSource services, providing different tools for them. And today we are 1,500 people in 20 Whoa. locations around the world. So three people to 1,500 people, and you're the chief people officer, which I love. Just like even even like practically, your world of work changed so much, right? Absolutely. Like what you do every day, what you deal with, what's like on your to-do list. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I'm very inspired speaking with young girls. And two weeks ago, we, we launched a She Codes program in Upsar offices. We had a two-day workshop. And I, I spoke to open this event with about 80 teenage girls. And I said to them that, you know, majority of you don't know what you want to be in the future. And it's perfectly fine. And the rest of you who know what you want to be in the future, allow yourselves to surprise yourself. So you, you have this that. what you want to do, but have this half door open to doing something different. Because I started my career as a marketer. I believe that I was very good in it and I really much enjoyed working with customers and also, you know, doing business. But very fast when, you know, in a, in a dynamic environment of a startup, when, you know, you need to do everything and, you know, just catch up different balls in the air. I've been taking care of a lot of operational stuff like landlords, real estate offices, uh, salaries, uh, people experience, like, you know, how we create engagement and belonging with people in the company because no one else would do that. So, you know, I pick up stuff that I can do and I really much enjoy it because I saw how much value it brings to the organization. So, you know, I have little kids and we spoke about this in the beginning. There are <laughs> TV series, Paw Patrol, that I really much like. Yeah. Their slogan is, no job is too big, no pop is too small. And this is how I feel about startup. Yeah, because you have like, it's like an accordion, right? Because you always like kind of expand, you always have to look at the big picture and the small picture at the same time, right? Absolutely. When you understand this, 
no job is too big. You can do everything. You just allow yourself to go into different challenge and all you need is just the support network that you can consult with and a challenge network that can bring you feedback and help you to become better. I love that. And I love what you said to those girls because I think so much we ask like little kids, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? It's the classic, you know, you meet a new kid that you don't know, what will you talk to them about? Like what's their... favorite TV series? Who's their favorite superhero? What do you want to do when you grow up? And I remember as a girl, even like, it's kind of, you're like, what, if I don't know what I'm going to do, then is something wrong with me? And today, when so many of our professions that we do, or even like didn't even exist when we were kids, or even if they did exist, they looked completely differently, right? If you were a manager, you managed people only in the office, like everything looked differently. It just makes so much more sense to be flexible and open and to let your life kind of take you explore places. I love that. Mm I think also like this question in a small, like early stage, it's also very dangerous in terms of stereotypes. Because when we have kids in early stage, they read different books and they're influenced by the education system. And if it's very traditional education system, so they will have adults' corners with some, you know, Barbie for, for girls and a, a tracks a corner for boys. So girls would like to be a Barbie and boys would like to be a truck driver. And when you ask them and they start thinking about this idea, what they want to be, It's uh, straightening the stereotypes. But when we break them and we tell them, you can be anything and it doesn't matter, like, you know, what interests you have today. You just, you can dream and do different things. Even if you know what you want to be today, you can change your mind and it's fine. And it's, it's actually something that happens. Yeah. And you can experiment, right? Absolutely. And I think out of experiments, we build interesting things. And out of my experiment, I came into being chief people officer today. And there's a fuck up nights talk I did last year where I speak about during my BA studies, I failed hardly in organizational studies. I failed twice in annual course. So I never believed I can become an HR in my career because I failed when I was in college. But because I had this opportunity to do different things and I had a network that supported me and believed that I can do it, I changed myself, listen to podcasts, read articles, do online courses, consult with my network to do the role that I'm doing today. And I'm constantly asking myself, am I doing good? What do I need to do to be chief people officer of 2025? What apps will need from me in 2025 and how I stretch out to feed and meet the expectations. I love that because I hear this and it's so, it's such a good fit to who I know you to be. And the whole concept of learning is so much, it's so you. And I'm thinking like while you're speaking and I say like, you're the chief people officer. And nowadays, you know, we moved from saying human resources to people. So there are a lot of different chief people officers in different companies. But I think even now that you have like this, you know, specific role, exactly the same notion and mindset that you talked about before, like experimenting, 
trying out different things, looking at things from different angles, I think you bring it also to your current role because you're not necessarily doing it by the book. You're finding the new definition of it. And it's been really amazing. To, so I, I haven't known you when you got started, but I, I've known you in the last maybe four or five years, I, I guess, maybe three or four years. And even, you know, through the growth in those years, which you've had an amazing growth, it's been so interesting and inspiring seeing how you adapt to each different stage and how you incorporate learning both for your own sake, but learning for your teams, right? And if I remember correctly from the first time that I attended a talk by you, learning is something that you implemented very, very early on, much earlier than many other startups and companies. Is that true? Am I remembering correctly? Right, right. So you can, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that comes to mind and uh, the main strongest part of any organization is culture. How you create a strong culture so people can strive, so people can be psychologically safe, they can be open and honest uh, and, and to set the standard. And what comes to my mind is Ubuntu. You're familiar with Ubuntu philosophy? I remember hearing about it, but can you tell us more about it? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big believer of Ubuntu philosophy, and it basically means humanity. It comes from uh, South Africa, and it means I am because we are. Meaning like I cannot exist without people around me. And we all connected. And we need to create this connection between us and to support each other in order to exist. So when speaking about organization, it's like an organism with different organs that needs to function together in order to be a healthy body. So for me, main focus in my role is how I, I strive this healthy well-being of organization, nurturing culture that appreciate feedback. Uh, that appreciate humanity, that appreciate honesty between people. It is amazing. And it's amazing to see how you show up for this and every day because it's not, you know, a lot of startups have, you know, their values on the wall and on their website. But for you, you actually built it into not only the culture, but how the day-to-day -day looks like. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So speaking about values, right? And we don't have an official set of values. But what we have is absolute beliefs, which we call learnings. And we have about 18 learnings that we learn through the year. And Oren actually uh, issued a post in newsletter, and it's public on our website. And I think it was like five years ago with 17 out of, of them. And in these beliefs, we speak about like, you know, make it work, make it better. We speak about wow, we speak about making mistakes. It's a crucial part of learning. And delivering these practices about what we believe in, but not necessarily values that you fit or you don't fit with. Because company is an evolving thing. It's, a, you know, people ask me, how do you preserve culture? I have no intention to preserve a culture because it needs to develop with people that join the company. Oh, I really like this distinction. It's not about preserving. It's about constantly creating and evolving. I love that. Absolutely. It should grow because organization is changing from 500 to 1,000 to 1,500 people and going into 3,000 people, we will change. 
So we do want to embrace certain things. Like I said, we want to embrace humanity. We want to embrace feedback. We want to embrace a balance in psychological safety. But we can do it in different ways. And people can interpret this into their values and how they decide to live their life. I love that. Okay, so Lisa, you know, I'm fascinated by you as a professional. And I learned so much from you. But what's even more interesting to me, actually, is you, Lisa, the human being. And, you know, we knew each other for a few years, and I was so impressed and inspired by you. But then after I closed my startup, Emerge, you reached out. And I remember you saying, I want to learn from this thing that happened. And I was I was like, the first minute I said, like, why does she want to learn from someone closing like a small startup that was only like less than 10 people. Like, how is this relevant? But then I was like, oh, wow, I I so appreciated it. And then when we had coffee on your uh, balcony in Hilsalia at the office, we had this conversation. And I think that was the first time that I really learned more about you as a person. And I was just so impressed. And I thought your personal journey that of course has to do with work and everything. I believe that everything, you know, everything is connected, as you said, everyone and everything. So work, life, it's all together. I want you to tell us a little bit more about where you come from, the choices that you made and like what went into it. And then we can go on from there. Good. So, you know, I think it's not accidentally I said work is fun because I remember myself working since I 12, 13. So, uh, and, you know, being a kid, but also taking care of the family and uh, supporting family financially, it's something that you need to have fun with, you know, to keep going and, you know, also continue growing. Yeah, I grew up in Ukraine and uh, I made Aliyah with a, a Jewish agency program when I was 17 by myself. My family stayed in Ukraine. And I basically become an independent person at age of 17. But even before, I was given a lot of independence and home supporting my family through, you know, 90s and Ukraine separating from the Soviet Union. So it was a challenging time for a family back then. But I always feel uh, supportive. And, uh, you know, one of the like curious uh, stories from my childhood is that I decided to leave a regular school, public school, and go to private school because it has a higher chances to be accepted to more prestigious universities in Ukraine. So I came up to my mom that, you know, it's it's private school and uh, how are we going to pay for it? And we have this idea that uh, she will prepare cookies and I will sell them in the market so I will make some money and I will be able to pay for my school. And also uh, we can negotiate with the school uh, director, you know, the the price and and go and speak with him. So it was interesting, uh, you know, as an idea and as an experiment, but I ended up having a 50% discount and because I showed very well during exams and I was accepted to the school and I spent three years in the school. It was accepted to a good university before I went to Israel as a promise to my parents for one year experiment, which ended up in a... 22 years and uh, three kids and one on the road. (laughs) Nice experiment. (laughs) Really nice experiment there. (laughs) Wow, I love the story. Like, you know, I love everything about it. The the 
cookies, the negotiation, but just the initiative and that kind of way of thinking, hey, maybe we can look at it from a different way. You know, one of the I'm just back to recording podcast episodes after a few weeks break, and I'm recording a few this week. Uh, usually I only record one, and it's so fun because it's like all together, and I, I get so inspired, and it just gives me, as you said, fun. It gives me energy for the rest of my day. But one of the episodes that we recorded this week, will probably be one or two episodes before this one to go live, was with Anne Dittmeyer. And she is she started out as a designer in the States, and she now lives in... France. And she started giving classes about how to draw maps, just, you know, just so you have kind of a memory or a, um, you know, souvenir from like a, your grandparents' house or from like a trip that you took that you were traveling. So just like practically how to draw a map to somewhere. And as she was doing this, and listeners, I will put the link, of course, in the show notes, she found out that people started drawing maps of kind of their life journey. So sometimes it was actually in locations and sometimes it was like more abstract. And first of all, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, wow, what a map you have, Lisa, like in your life. Amazing. And the second thing that I was actually going to say is that when you draw a map, when it's kind of visual, right, and visible, suddenly you can see that there's another way. You don't have to go just through that direct route that you always knew or that, you know, Waze gives you or Google Maps. You can actually look, you can take the paper if it's physical and flip it. You can doodle something on the side. And I love how you're talking about the way that you looked at things even at such a young age. How old were you when you were like considering that private school? Twelve. Wow, that's super, super young. That's younger than my son. That's like almost your kid's age. <laughs> um, and you were like just kind of courageous enough and also curious enough to say like, hey, wait a minute. What if we look at it a different way? Mm -hmm. I also was waiting my opportunities, you know, how I can uh, support myself in the future growth. Also understanding that social economical situation of my family was not the greatest one. I had to find ways how I support myself in the future growth and, you know, how I build this trajectory in my education path. So we had to, to look farther along and not like only look at the very near yeah. future. Yeah. So you went to that private school, you went into that university and, or you got accepted into that university and then you went to Israel. What happened there? You know, I have a very interesting story with Israel because I had no family. Uh, I have like a very a long related family from like my grand grandfather, a aunts living in Israel. So we ha haven't been much in touch. So I very much been by myself. By the time I came here, my sister uh, did a Aliyah uh, two years beforehand. So I didn't join just myself, but I was very independent. So I finished my studies in uh, Sapir Academic College. I moved to like live in the central area. Petah Tikva was very central back then, still uh, on the map. 
And uh, I started, you know, looking for myself, like what's the areas I want to work in? And, you know, the all the mobile industry and in general, you know, how the telecommunication changes from uh, stationary phones to mobile phones. So I went to this direction. I was working for Cellcom some period and from Orange, working on like the service centers and understanding, you know, how you build relationship with your clients. So it's very much impacted my vision on like, you know, doing business and how you create value. I also, you know, I had an opportunity very soon to join a startup as an early grad. So I joined Pioneer, which is an empire today, but back then it was like 25 people startup. So it was like very, very beginning. And Yuval Tal interviewed me, you know, so what do you want to do? And, you know, what, what you know, I speak Russian. Okay, great. So you can uh, support our CIS market. Come in, you can start tomorrow. So, you know, it's startup spirit. And I think also like this entrepreneurial and startup spirit of like, you know, challenging status quo, do more with less, zero budget marketing. These are the things that I learned as early grad in startup. Then I had like, you know, different uh, positions with the digital advertising and marketing. And when Orlin and Reshev started Upstart in 2011, uh, and I knew them uh, before, you know, as friends, I started supporting them in, uh, in building Upstart because I knew the ecosystem and potential clients. And we started building this relationship and starting relationship with uh, different clients that can be relevant or partners that can be relevant to work with Upstart. I love the story of how you were like the one person who actually embodied your target audience pretty much. So you were the voice of, you know, who were you, you were speaking to. How was it kind of having that say? Because even, you know, with Pioneer, at the time you, you like stopped working there, it was probably like much bigger than, you know, than starting like a new thing. Because I, I keep thinking about what you said about fun. And this is like a big thing that I'm kind of always like thinking about how to bring playfulness and fun uh, to my life. But did you feel like this was a playground where you could experiment and like do and try things? Or was there a lot of stress of like, hey, what will investors want? How to do this right and not make mistakes? Look, we were young and ambitious. And uh, I think back then, uh, Reshef uh, just had his uh, second child, his son was born and me and Orn, we both were single, no kids, so we can work from 8 a.m. till 2 a.m. and support, like, you know, follow the sun, starting with Asia, working with Europe, going, finishing the day with U.S., and China wakes up and we're still working. It was a lot of experiments and a lot of, you know, ambitious thinking. And, uh, you know, Shimon Peres, very inspiring us to dream big. You know, maybe back then we didn't have the book of No Room for Small Dreams, but we were these entrepreneurs and we, we believed that we need to dream big. I just watched the uh, new Netflix movie, the, the Legacy of Shimon Paris on Netflix. Oh, I just added it to my watch list. I didn't wow, watch it yet. it's amazing. And I don't want to spoil this, but he finishes with one sentence that I'm embroidered on my uh, notebook. Uh, if I would do tattoo, it's probably the tattoo that I will do, but I don't have any tattoo and no pain release to do it. But he <laughs> said, what I'm doing is not dreaming. What I'm doing is opening my eyes. Oh, wow. And I really much believe that, you know, when you dream big, it's not that you live in a fantasy, okay? You just 
bring so many different opportunities for ourselves. So also us, we said, okay, let's do integration with Facebook. And five people, company, let's become an MMP with Facebook and we can build this partnership. And people would say, oh, these guys are crazy. Like Facebook will never work with them. But we said, like, why not? We're going to try and we're going to do this and we're going to build, you know, this relationship and to develop. And we did that. And, uh, you know, we need more clients. Okay, so we need to go to the conferences. We don't have a budget to fly to conferences. Okay, we will do nice banners. We will, I will, I build a Google form that people can sign in to have a demo with us, and then we'll create generate leads and and speak with these people from different conferences. So finding creative ways to work with your clients and always focusing on like working this extra mile for a client. How to bring more value? How we can be, give a better service than our competitors? And back then when we started, we had two very strong competitors. And then together with us, another one started. And today, two out of three competitors doesn't exist. Wow. They're just not there. Okay, they've been acquired and they changed their business. Yeah, I love what he said about like, it's not dreaming or it's not fantasizing. It's opening my eyes. I was like, just speaking to my therapist, actually. <laughs> and I was <laughs> telling her, I am such an optimistic person. And when I have even like just a glimmer of hope, and I feel like this is like very true for a lot of entrepreneurial people, when I have even like one glimmer of hope, like it's, it's, it doesn't have to be a lot of hope. It doesn't have to be very realistic, just a little bit of hope. Then to me, that's already the reality. Now it's only about how do we make it happen? Actually, how do we like make the world <laughs> see that it's true mm-hmm. as well? And I think there's that no is... There's no other choice than being an optimist. I think there's no other choice. It's also, you know, how you impact uh, people around you. Do you want them to be pessimistic or optimistic? And it's much more fun to be in the optimistic environment. For sure, for sure. And that, you know, that really connects to me because I remember still, you know, that talk that you gave, I think with the icon women meetups, that's still really etched in my brain. And I remember how you were saying about like the learning, I think you were discussing AppsFlyer Academy at that time, how you built that for all your different offices at that time. And you were talking to us about how you started it when you were working with people who were not even full time or they weren't even, you know, they were maybe contract, but you were still, you were already thinking about apps flyer like it is today. Like for you, like that's already existed. It's only, it was only time for reality had to catch up to you. Yeah. <laughs> reality had to catch up to you, but you already were operating that way and I find that so inspiring and you know what's interesting is that I didn't have any corporate experience in my life that's amazing so it's not that I knew how it should work in a big organization I had no idea you know I knew from consulting with people that work in this you know big companies but I didn't know myself and I think that you know that the this curve of knowledge that maybe I was missing actually allowed me to do crazy things back then and said, okay, because we're going to do Because you didn't know that you can't do them. Everybody will do demo with clients. Everybody will need to learn our product. And, uh, you know, someone would say it's a waste of time of, I don't know, software engineer to do demo with client. But when we're 30 and we need to support our clients in the best possible way, I want software engineer to understand how the product works 
before they start writing the, the first line of code. And, you know, of course, today things change and, you know, the academy, it's more role dedicated, but they still have this access to a, a knowledge on the e-learning system so they can learn more about product and we can support them to know more about, you know, the business and objectives and what's happening in the ecosystem. And it's everyone. And I took software engineers as an example, but it's also about finance and legal and people operations and HR, everyone. Yeah. And I think it's both, you know, it's interesting because on the one side, like you said, it was in the beginning, probably out of necessity, like everyone needs to know everything. On the other hand, when you're in the beginning and you don't have a lot of runway, you're saying like, I want that person to work. I don't want them. Like you need to feel like you have enough abundance to tell them like, wait a minute, don't write your first line of code yet. You need to actually be part of this organization, learn it, understand it, challenge it maybe. It takes this feeling of abundance and this courage of saying like, hey, we're not building it for the next six months. We're building it for decades to come. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, at the beginning when, you know, the things were bumpy and it was uh, difficult, you know, to raise the capital, you know how challenging it might be with the uh, VCs. Oh, yeah. And we had an, uh, an Excel spreadsheet or and managed this with expenses and we didn't have much incomes, you know, at the beginning we didn't charge our clients. So we had like four months to go. Do we get funding or like four months from now we don't have money to pay salaries and we were about like five to seven people I think back then and even you know letting go five people it's very difficult you know they have families they have a commitment it's extremely difficult yeah and we always look at this okay so we were very realistic like where we are with our expenses and how we can manage this but also thinking out of the bus like what we can do and one of the things that i did i started charging our clients so i said okay i will design an invoice with upsell logo and we will send invoices to our clients and we will start you know a billing process to collect money and you know no one asked me to do that I had no experience or financial education to do this. I just spoke with our, you know, financial consultants, how we're going to do it, how we're going to report this and just started. And at the moment that we start uh, showing like traction with our clients and incomes, then we've been able to raise more capital and to attract more clients and clients start treating our business as something much more serious than a free service they've been using before. I totally connect to that. Like it's it's a different, it's also like a different kind of prediction because you don't know like who will drop off, who will take you seriously. It's such a step to like of maturity to actually start charging and saying like, hey, <laughs> this is it. This is a business. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also about like, you know, how we implement this like a radical candor within team. Okay. Because like, Rashef uh, haven't been happy with that, okay? With me starting charging clients, and we had like a very big debate about this. But caring personally, but challenging directly allowed us to work through this process and understand that this is the right thing to do for Upslayer and it will support us in different ways. So we ended up building a very robust Excel, me and Reshev, that he will pull in data and I will calculate. And we had a very complex pricing model back then. Wow, it was hell. Tier structure based on weeks of usage and, you know, so many different components to it. And it was built on Excel, <laughs> on Excel formula. But 
what I'm saying is like, like, and what I'm saying to founders, and I'm today on advisory board for two uh, startups, and what I'm saying founders and the team, you need to challenge yourself constantly because this is how you will find the best solutions for a business and for your clients. When you care for people and when you speak about empathy, empathy, it's not about agreeing with people. Empathy is about understanding where they're coming from. That That is such a strong saying. Empathy is not about agreeing with people. I think we so often fall into that because it's just like more yeah. convenient. You know, as you said, radical candor. Yeah, you, we want to be loved. You know, yeah, people by nature want to be loved. We want to be loved. We don't want conflict. It's so exhausting and it's so it feels so intimidating. But yeah, I, I love that. Empathy is not about agreeing. It's Rose so, so true. It's not convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Rose has pain. Yeah. Okay. When a baby starts walking and bumping his head all the time or her head all the time, they they don't say, oh, it's this hard thing. I'm giving up. I'm, I'm never be walking. No, they continue because they don't have a choice. It's an evolution, Right. But when we become elder, all of a sudden we say, oh, it's not convenient or, you know, I don't want to go out of my comfort zone. And they, and then this is how we affect our growth. But if we constantly challenge ourselves to fall, then we'll be able to raise higher. I love that because, you know, as a leader or as a parent of <laughs> that baby that falls, you know, as a parent, you want to, you don't want your kid to bump their head. You don't want them to cry. You want them to have a happy life. But if we would like just carry them everywhere, they will never learn to walk. And as a leader or manager, both of like just, you know, a business like Apps Flyer that it, the business itself is growing, but also if the people inside it, you have to give them enough rope to actually learn and sometimes sometimes it's not fun for a minute Mm -hmm. so I want to ask you because I was going to ask you this anyhow but now with your kind of talking about growth and how growth can be inconvenient you kind of really set the ground for this so we started this talk talking about how work is fun how do you maintain the fun throughout all the challenges some of the challenges are great you want those challenges you want to grow sometimes there are times covid other crises that are not that fun how do you maintain that sense of fun and of energy and of abundance within that and let's be radically open one of these challenges is working with your life partner Totally, totally. I didn't want to bring it up, but I'm so happy is, that you are. Also, another thing that you know we didn't bring, but you know, if someone listened to this minute, we can give this piece of information as well for them. Thank you for staying with us till now. So yes, working with Oren and parenting as three kids, soon four with him, it's also another challenge. You know that we need to work through our relationship and becoming a young couple getting married, raising capitals, managing company, me going in and out, you know, maternity leaves, restructuring my team and also taking on more responsibility eventually. This is exactly what I'm saying, turning challenges into opportunities. Because for me and Oren, we need to set the limits, okay? How we work in the office and how we work at home. And bringing in COVID, when work 
happened a lot at home, but it also was happening before COVID for us. We need to set more more significant boundaries, you know, what we can do at home and, and what we don't. And we always focus on like the visionary things when we speak. We don't talk about like a tactical execution and, you know, a, a problem that needs to be solved. And Oren also always emphasized to me and to other leadership team who reports to them that I don't manage you. Don't expect me to give you guidelines what you need to do. You're in, in executive position because it's your responsibility to do the right thing for Upslayer. And if at some point you don't know what's the right thing for Upslayer, maybe it's not the right place for you. But I trust you to do it as long as you took on yourself responsibility to be an executive in Speaking Upslayer. of radical candor, yeah, saying like, hey, let's be completely honest and open Maybe it's not the right place, but this is this is how we do things here. I love that. Right. So I think Oren pushed me a lot to my growth. That's amazing. And he inspired me a lot being visionary, and he inspired me a lot to think about strategy and how we build more innovation into people's function. You know, for me, taking on leading HR four years ago was not an easy thing. So like Oren... It's just irresponsible act to do. I failed in organizational studies twice. How I can do it? And he was like, you, you're just locking on something that happened in the past and you're preventing yourself to do something in the future. It just doesn't make sense, you know, when you think about this rationally. So for me, it was a gross area to become a chief people officer and not only becoming like the best version of myself, but also convincing network around me that not coming from the talent acquisition, HR organizational development, I can do this role and I can build a strong culture in Upslayer. This was something for me as an area for growth. That is so inspiring. And how, like, while you were doing that, how do you maintain, like, your fun and your inspiration? Like, what fills your cup? So one of the challenges for me, it's public speaking. And I was pushing myself to do more talks, more podcasts, being more more public, not only because I can learn more through this, but also I can bring more value to my team. Because when I'm exposing myself, I'm exposed Upslayer and Upslayer people operations, amazing things. So when I started doing this more, I can see my team also participating in different events and also speaking about their achievement, which is an amazing you know, reward for me to see my team uh, growing and going through this path. I love that. Yeah. As a manager, I constantly am pushing my team to like, first of all, we're now going at rooms and words to just showcase them and kind of lift them up and show them. And also like kind of just pushing them to pursue their own happiness, whether it is a sport that they want to do or really public speaking or just being more active on Twitter whatever it is that they're interested in doesn't matter the vertical so i love that one thing that we didn't speak about is uh is social exactly exactly what i was going to ask you about because i feel <laughs> this is so much who you are uh, and oh i just wanted to say before that that 
you said, like, I love that you said that this fills your cup, public speaking, and that it brings value to your team. But I want to say also it brings so much value to people like me who listen to you because you have such an amazing story and so much life lessons to share. So I want to thank you on behalf of everyone who listens to you because as, as we said, like, I listened to that talk three, four, five years ago, I still remember a lot of it. It doesn't happen with every talk that I attend. So, so yeah, social responsibility yeah. is something that a lot of times can just be a buzzword for startups or not a buzzword, like they really care, but it's kind of on the periphery of what they do. For you, it's an inherent part of you as a leader and an apps flyer as a company. I still remember if we're taking it maybe less to like, I feel like everything is connected. So maybe, maybe you don't call it social responsibility. Maybe you call it diversity or just being, you know, parent friendly. But to me, it's all kind of, it's all connected. It's all evolves like around the same thing. I still remember you talking about the parents room that you created in AppsWire a few years ago. And I know that you're now doing a lot in the Ukraine and you're doing so much other stuff. Can you tell us more about the specific things that you're doing, but also how does it work with you? Like, what's the process for you? How did you have to convince anyone that that was a priority for a growing startup? Tell us more about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in general, the, the CSAR world is a, is very broad and it, it has so many different things that, you know, collaborate together. For us, uh, social responsibility was much more about social impact and how we can, you know, impact community and also support different communities that we work with. So we launched the AppSar Cares about, I think, like five, six years ago as a social project that people can volunteer, they can share different ideas, what they want to do, how they want to support their communities. And we also made a very strong accent on the localization. So we call it Glocal, where different offices can bring different ideas how they want to support their communities. Because, you know, around the world, where, you know, different parts of the planet, there's different needs. You brought up Ukraine and, you know, besides being personally very much involved and, you know, I have family in Ukraine and my mom is now with us for uncertain time. And it's, it's very difficult to see what's happening there. And also understanding that, you know, beyond like, you know, business needs, okay, and people needs, we need to see how we care for the future. What mark we want to leave for the future? What we can do today so the future generation will pick it up? We want to see how we can put technology at the service of humanity. And this is also what led us almost two and a half, a year and a half ago, sorry, to support Auschwitz-Birkenau Museum in Poland and to create this project to help them to digitalize the visit to Auschwitz-Birkenau Museum in, in Poland. And we work with them. Oh, on wow, this I didn't know that. Yeah, so we're actually helping them to raise money to create a g- digital tour. And we already have Beta, and we have like, you know, like the Minister of Education uh, from Germany, and a, like, you know, very uh, solid families, philanthropic families supporting this project, and also our board of directors. So we have Kumra, uh, Pitango, Deutsche Telekom, and others. Of course, uh, Atlantic philanthropy participating in this as well to support uh, this project, to create 
a special project where we can serve humanity by technology. I love that because then it's not just impact and business. It's actually connecting what you do in the world of technology mm-hmm. to the social impact. Yeah. That's amazing. And it also connects so people into this project because they understand that, you know, besides excelling their career, working for SaaS fun startup, they also can create their knowledge and their experience by supporting different communities. And this is what AppSec cares about. It's about future employability and how we employ people from different backgrounds, empowering girls and women, how we can uh, create a digital safety for kids. And we have a Max Fund, which is a philanthropic fund we created uh, and launched a year ago. And it has a a sad but inspiring story of my nephew, Max Edelstein, who passed away at age of 12. He fell from the fifth floor of his apartment. We named this uh, fund in the name of Max because we want to support more kids to be digitally safe and we want to support them when they go through uh, challenging situations in, in their life. So Absolute Cares, it's very broad and it, it provides a lot of solutions uh, for different needs around the world. This is also a very strong component of our culture, how we can create this humanity and how we can really embrace the Ubuntu of I am because we are. I love that because, you know, when you say that you care and when you kind of have that as the values or the learnings, that's one thing. But when you actually act on that and it's not just like one volunteer day a year or a quarter. This is actually a core part of what you do at AppsFlyer. It speaks volumes. And I love how that is also, it's not like just one topic. It's not just one thing. And I love what you said about the local. People can bring in what they care about and what they're dealing with and what they've seen around them. And that's, that's so powerful, Lisa. I really, I, <laughs> I, I really have goosebumps listening to you talk about that. Did you in the beginning have though, did everyone kind of understand how important it was and how important was it to budget for this and to not just do it like on a specific day? Or like, did you need to kind of, you know, in order to get people on, on the wagon of that with you, did, did you have to convince people? Look, first of all, it's driven by Oren and Reshev and, you know, by the founding team and me. So this is, it is part of our DNA. And if I jump back in 2012 and I, I had to, you know, to organize present for Rosh Hashanah, I will bring something that represents a, a local community produce like olive oils or a, a honey from a Yad Mordechai, something that represents in nature and it represent the land and we want to support people uh, around us. So it always was present. It, it's not just about, okay, let's have a party and have fun. But when we have a party, for example, we will always invite people from the South or kids from a uh, different like Pnimia, like this uh, things or support. Uh, we work a lot of with sunrise and kids who are going through cancer disease, and we invite always groups to participate in upstairs fun events. So it's not just about having fun. It's also about sharing this pleasure and fun with the community and, and support people. And also 
you know, expose ourselves beyond, you know, the IT community and and very much privileged people that you see around yourself in the office to people who are less privileged and people that we need to be conscious about supporting them and, and, and giving them more opportunity and also inspiring them that there's more in this world that they can do. Yeah, it's it all comes together. So Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Before we say goodbye, I know you're constantly learning, watching, inspiring documentaries, reading great leadership books. Do you have any recommendation that our listeners should check out? Wow. So I said the, you know, the, the movie, which is the life and legacy of Shimon Peres, Never Stop Dreaming. So he's amazing. And obviously his book, No Room for Small Dreams. So I would stick with two recommendations from Shimon Peres, my role model. Amazing. We will link to that in the show notes. Lisa, thank you so much. It was so inspiring and I was so happy to see you again. And congrats on the upcoming baby. Thank you. Thank you, Hedva. Well, what a what a talk, what a person, what a woman. I've known Lisa for a while and I'm constantly inspired by her. I have to say when I first met her, I loved her story. I attended this talk that she gave to women of Icon. Icon is a great community of founders, of Israeli founders, usually coming to the Silicon Valley, even though that talk was in Israel and Apps Flyers offices. But I feel like what I was inspired by and impressed by back then barely scratched the surface. Lisa's life story and her way of looking at life, looking at work, looking at social impact and at growth are really so out of the ordinary. And, you know, uh, we talk a lot about on this podcast, it looks like work about growth and about slowing down. And I think this is a great story. I think recently we've been talking a lot about slowing and about taking things at your own pace, pushing yourself, but then resting, which I think is so important. But I wanted to bring this story that is really kind of a classic startup nation, unicorn story. But we usually only hear about the growth, the numbers, the valuation of the company. We barely hear about how it is actually being in the trenches and how you can actually sustain doing that and building a business like this over 11 years so far in a sustainable way while maintaining your fun and your energy and the things that you care about. So I have to say that this one really made me think and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to looks like work. You can find resources, links, and of course the episode show notes at rooms and words.com. That's rooms like a room and words and like an end.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I really, really hope that you'll like my newsletter too. My newsletter is something that I send out every week and I share thoughts, links, books, and just other things that I find thought-provoking, interesting, somehow contributing to these conversations that we're having here, or 
are sometimes just joyously distracting. Again, the newsletter is sent out every week, and you can find the link to sign up on my website at roomsandwords.com. And I really hope to see you there, and of course, to see you here next week. Have a good one.